Well, everybody, we had the opportunity last night to fill out a pre-qualified WPS in accordance with Z1.1 Clause 3. Hopefully, everybody was comfortable with the process. You know, since we've already worked on the procedures that were qualified by testing a little bit, <coughs> uh, doing a pre-qualified would hopefully not be quite as uh, quite as difficult. You know, there are some some rules you've got to find in Clause 3 and some requirements that may be elsewhere in the code that are good to include. Hopefully everybody kind of got an idea on how to do it. Obviously, you need to practice like anything else. The, the variables that are on the pre-qualified WPF, most of them are listed in Clause 3, but if you go back to Annex P, you'll notice that there's quite a few other things that are referenced that may be good to put on your pre-qualified WPS. You know, the two different ideas I have about the WPS as being pre-qualified or otherwise are you know, you can have one that meets the requirements of the code and maximizes the ranges that you could use in production. Or you could have one that's a little bit tighter on all the ranges, but it's very useful for the welder. It tells them specific things that they need to do or controls the process a little bit more, <clears throat> a little bit more carefully than a wide range of WPS does. You know, in any case, they pretty much always need to meet the requirements of the code. It's whether your company or the task that's being done has to be tightened up a little bit, has to have some more controls on it. You know, we talked in the past about some variables that aren't even addressed. Uh, you know, the gas cup size, don't have to put that on there really. Or it's not a range for, you know, for variables. Travel angle, work angle, those type of things. Uh, putting those on your WPS and give the welder some guidance or some reminders of things of how the organization wants things done. The, uh, the pre-qualified WPS that we wrote last night was just one example. Hopefully you can take that experience that we had last night and write another one. Maybe try writing one for shield and metal arc welding or for gas metal arc welding and see how that goes. You know, my, my goal is for you to be able to use the code not to remember everything that we did in class. So going back through the code and using it again for different tasks is going to be helpful for you in the long run. You know, if, you're, <clears throat> if your only goal is to pass the, the welding inspector test when we get to the end of class, you still need to keep, you got to keep on studying. If your goal is to be a good welding inspector after class and after you do or don't pass the test, doesn't matter, then you're going to have to keep on studying for a whole lot longer than just during our class. Okay, it's, it's, it's a lifelong kind of thing if you want to be good at it. The, the pre-qualified WPSs are used throughout industry. It's one of the great things about D1.1 compared to some other codes. I really suggest you learn how to review one and make sure that it meets the requirements of the code. You know, the ones that I put up there that were mine may have some things that are missing, some things that could be done differently. Feel free to comment on those. You're not going to hurt my feelings a whole lot. You know, now that we've gone through the, the WPSs of both pre-qualified and the qualified by testing type, the next thing that we're going to move on to is welder qualification, the old certified welder. Okay, I'm sure everybody's heard that term. Pretty sure I put a link to a, a certified welder article that I wrote a while back, but uh, I'll probably go over it again or, or put a link to it where you can take a look at it. But just because a welder's passed the welder qualification test, and is qualified to make the welding according to the code doesn't necessarily mean they're good at it. Uh, that's one of the reasons we have welding inspectors in quality control. 
you got to monitor the process somewhat. Uh, qualification test that you give is kind of like just like the WPS that are written can either meet the minimum requirements of the code or they can be specific to things that your company does. Uh, a welder could be given a test, a generic AWS D1.1 welder qualification test vertical and overhead and meet the requirements of the code without any problem. But you put them out on the job sometimes and they have some trouble. So you could possibly modify your qualification test to reflect those conditions. Uh, you know, you give somebody that's had a lot of practice in the test booth and you give them a vertical and overhead plate and they can knock it out sitting up on top of the table. You take that same test plate and you attach the vertical one to the to the table leg on the bottom of the foot off the floor and you attach the overhead one to the underside of the table where they got to crawl underneath it. And guess what? It's a whole new world for them. So as you go forward as a welding inspector and being involved with welding, just, just be aware of you know some of the purposes of welder qualification. Some of them can be to meet the code. Some of them can be to meet your company's requirements. Think of the welder qualification form that we talked about a little bit last night as the left-hand column being the like the procedure qualification record, like the PQR, and the fact it records the variables that you knew about during the test. And then the right-hand column is the ranges of qualification generated by those variables and the code rules. So on the left-hand column, I would pretty much record everything that I could on the test. Any variable that I could see and observe, I would record it. On the right-hand column, though, I would just put the variables in that are related to the range of qualification allowed by the code. I'd want to be careful about putting anything over there on the right-hand side that's not required by the code that may restrict the range of qualification sometime in the future. Uh, i trying to think of an example. Oh, here's one that I've seen people do that actually is outside of the, you know, where they're not following the code rule. But let's just say the person takes their test on A36. Then over there in the right-hand column, their qualified range, they put down A36 only. Or they put down AWS D1.1 Group 1. Well, that has all of a sudden restricted the welder because essentially when the welder takes a test per D1.1, any base metal that is in D1.1, they are qualified to weld on. So that range could be all D1.1 materials. And if it's not a variable, if it's not a range of qualification, you could also leave it blank. Okay. But just be careful about putting something on there, carrying something over from the from the ranges used during the test to the other column uh, where there's not some guidelines given from the code again. <clears throat> you know, the base material is not an essential variable for welder performance qualification in accordance with D1.1. The scope of D1.1 and the materials that are referenced in D1.1 are all inclusive as far as welder qualification goes. They're good to go. There's no case that I'm aware of in which a welder takes a test on one type of material is no longer qualified to do it on another type of material that's listed in D1.1. Now that doesn't mean that additional training or qualification wouldn't be a good idea. You take the example of Quinston tempered steel, high strength low alloy steel that's been processed and 
gets its properties from heat treating. In my opinion, if there's going to be people welding on that, they need to be trained on how you follow the WPS, the importance of heat input, how to monitor it, you know, maybe even how to <clears throat> how to calculate it on their own. But there are some special things that have to be considered when the welder uses, you know, works on certain materials. May not have to take another qualification test per se, but it's not a bad idea to make sure that they are trained in the use of the WPS. They understand the, the purpose of it. They understand the things that could happen if you didn't follow the WPS. Uh, so, given that kind of, you know, given that kind of supplementary information or requirement to the welder, can help your company do a better job, even though it's not required by the code or the qualification. So when we come back to the next class, hopefully we'll review a, the start of a welder qualification form that you started on. We may go out to the shop and, and go through the process of giving me a weld test, giving somebody a weld test just to kind of maybe get a little bit of welding inspection on, look at the root pass, fill pass to see if you see any defects, look at the final weld. We'll just have to see, you know, it'll be, kind of, it'll be a lot to squeeze in three hours, but we may be able to do it. Uh, just kind of keep that in mind may not happen, who knows. Keep on returning to the things that we've already studied. And I put the quiz out there on the website today. 20, 25 questions mixed up with different topics that we've covered. Uh, they're confidence-based. I want you to be able to, to let me know how, we, how you feel about those questions. Okay, when you pick an answer, I either want to know if you're confident or you're not confident, you're a little bit confident, that kind of thing. So if you can get to that before next class, that'll kind of give me a good idea where we stand. We're, we're about halfway through as far as the total number of hours on paper. Whenever I offer for you guys to, to holler at me if you need anything, you know, I, I, I sincerely mean it. You know, text me any time of the day if you got a question or, or want to know someplace you may be able to study to see some more information. And I'm by no means, I mean, it's, you know, if I'd had the internet when I was learning how to be a welding inspector, I'd be a lot smarter than I am now, or a lot dumber, one or the other. But there's some tremendous resources out there for you to learn on your own. Uh, I'm hoping that, that our classes are encouraging you to study on your own. I know everybody's busy. Uh, you know, I've had a few, a few times when the assignments in between class didn't quite get done. You know, it just is what it is. Just understand that you're not going to get good at this by just showing up in class and listening to me run my mouth. That's just, that's just all there is to it. There's a little bit more effort that's going to be required if you want to be good at it. But even if you don't put that extra effort in in between, hopefully you're learning something. Okay? It may be knowledge that you won't get an opportunity to apply for a while, but maybe it'll help you realize, hey, I can learn this on my own if I wanted to. Y'all have a good day. Take care. Bye. Hey everybody, going to talk to you a little bit about welder qualification in general, not necessarily uh, only in the aspect of D1.1, but just, just the process, maybe some misconceptions. I pasted a link on the website to, uh, to an article I wrote called The Certified Welder, and I may go over a couple of those things. You know, what I, one, of the, one of the biggest, I think, misunderstandings that I've come across when people call me about welder qualification tests, and of course they refer to it as welder certification, and I may too. Uh, is that somehow they think that's the only requirement they have to comply with to meet the code. You know, I, I'll get calls from people that are building components for a building, 
and they'll say, hey, the, the engineer requires us to have our welder certified in accordance with D1.1. As I investigate it further, what I come to find out is that the drawings will make a statement to say all welding is to be done in accordance with AWS D1.1. But that manufacturer, that contractor's perception is, is once their welders are tested and qualified, they've met the requirements. And unfortunately, if you, since we've all looked through D1.1 so far in class, realize there's just a few pages about welder qualification, and then there's a whole lot of pages about other stuff. So whenever you have the opportunity to, to enlighten somebody on that concept, do it. Okay. Obviously, uh, you know, use you know use your judgment on who you're talking to and that kind of stuff. But it is a common misunderstanding that uh, having a certified welder all of a sudden makes their product comply with some code or standard, and that's not the case. Okay. You've got to have qualified welders. You've got to have a qualified welding procedure. You've got to follow the, the design requirements if you're complying with the code. You've got to do all the fabrication in accordance with the rules that's in Clause Five. You got to perform the inspections as required by the, you know, by the owner or the engineer that are indicated in Clause Six. Okay, so there's quite a bit more to it than just having your welders qualified, certified. You now the same thing goes for other codes and specifications. Uh, I can't think of any project that I've ever come across where the only requirement on the job was that the welders be certified. Okay, uh, it's always been. A requirement to comply with some other written standards and specifications, typically in industry code. The, you know, there's also a misconception I think among many people that if you've got a certified welder, that that welder automatically knows some, you know, they're they're all knowing or they have a great deal of knowledge about the welding process that they're using. And unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case. The welder qualification test, in the context of most codes does not require any knowledge whatsoever. It's just a demonstration of manual dexterity and skills to make a weld that is sound. Now, there are some exceptions to that with certain codes, you know, no standard 248, which is a different number now, but has 248 in it is, is the standard for the Navy for procedure and performance qualification. It has requirements in it explicitly that say the welders have got to be trained uh, on what they're doing. But for the most part, the majority of other codes and standards, a certified welder doesn't mean they have any brain knowledge about the welding process whatsoever other than how to use it to make a good weld. And sometimes that's all you need. Okay, I'm not, I'm not downgrading those people that don't have technical knowledge about, you know, about our subject. Uh, I may have mentioned in class, you know, if I had to give up all my knowledge about welding or I had to give up my skill to weld, and I had to do it today, and I had to feed my family tomorrow, I would give up the knowledge because I know that I can go to a job site and pass a welding test, and I can go out there and work as a welder. Whereas going to find a job as a welding inspector that knows stuff about welding, and talking to people about it, that's a little bit slower process, and uh, you know, depending on your interview skills, it may not work out good for you. So, you know, that's just my opinion. By no means the... Uh, you know, the way it should be for everybody, but that's how I look at it. So, you know, don't, you know, don't look down on that person that just knows how to weld because uh, that's a skill different than knowledge. Anybody can read a book and learn some stuff. Getting out there and doing stuff with your hands, in my opinion, and being good at it is a whole different, whole different deal. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but, you know, understand there's misconceptions out there. 
Uh, there's misconceptions even among welder inspectors. You know, another misconception that I run into sometimes is that a welder is qualified to a WPS, meaning that he gets qualified to use a WPS and then boom, they could use that WPS. He could weld with that WPS anywhere. And that's not the case. As we've already learned, uh, hopefully when you've looked back and forth between the, the specific parts in Clause 3, that the essential variables for a welding procedure are much more than the essential variables for a welder qualification in Clause, in clause 4 and Clause 3 both. Now, there's many more variables that are either more restrictive or maybe even allow more range. So a welder can take a test using a WPS that's written up for all positions. But he just takes that test in the vertical position, 3G. Well, that welder's only qualified for vertical, horizontal, and flat, even though that welder procedure could be used on all different positions. So he is qualified to use that welding procedure, but only within the scope of the variables that he's qualified for. The other situation can happen like this. Uh, I could take a welding test using a WPS that is written up for material that's up to one inch thick. And I do that in the, we'll say in the vertical and the overhead position. That would qualify me for all positions and unlimited thickness. And I'm also qualified to use the WPS that I, that I used on the test. However, that WPS is not qualified for anything thicker than one inch but I am. Okay? So that concept of, of referring to a welder being qualified for a procedure or to a procedure, you have to use with caution because it's easy to have that misconception that somehow their variables are linked together. And as I mentioned before, the only time the welder qualification variables and the WPS variables have to link together is when you're making a specific weld. Okay? Now during the qualification testing process, then of course there are no variables for the welder yet. But the, the variables that he's using that do apply to welder qualification have to be within the range of the WPS. But anything else that the WPS is qualified for is irrelevant for his range of qualification. Uh, so that's, that's the second misconception that I've, that I've run across over the years. Uh, another one is, is that a certified welder is somehow more skilled than someone that's not. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. Okay. Uh, basically, a welder qualification test is proving that you can make one specific weld at one time under certain conditions, and that's it. Okay. Now, you meet the requirements of the code, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're good to go do the job. There's plenty of people that have learned how to do a, a 3G plate test sitting on a table, you know, 40 inches off the ground, and they're good at it. But you take that same welder and you put them out in the field where they've got to lay down and they can only use one arm, the whole world changes. But there may be some guy that's been working maintenance in a, in a factory or in an industrial environment for years. They never required him to even take a qualification test. But if you used to put him down on the ground upside down, using one arm, trying to make a vertical groove well, guess what? He's probably a guy that was qualified or certified. So another thing to keep in mind, another misconception is, is uh, I don't know if it's a misconception, it's something that, that I've, I see discussed oftentimes. Uh, oftentimes certified welding inspectors are really uh, 
they don't want to use the term certification, for instance, when it comes to welders. They want to say the welder's qualified. Well, here's what my perception on the term certified means. It's basically, I have signed for something certifying that something happened. Okay, so if, I, if you take a welder qualification test and it's in accordance with D1.1, when I sign that welder performance qualification test, I certify that you met the qualification requirements of the code. So using the term certified welder for you, not a big deal for me, okay? But I have seen some folks that really, really get tore up over it about referring to the welder as being certified. To me, anybody is certified for anything when someone else signs a piece of paper documenting they made some requirement. But you'll just see discussions and questions back and forth about it. Who knows, there may even be questions on the CWI exam, I don't know. I just take them as they come. So that's, you know, that's the bulk of the, the misconceptions about the, the qualified certified welder, however you want to put it. Uh, one other term, though, that's think about, oftentimes I've heard reference to an AWS certified welder. Well, that would imply that they're certified by the American Welding Society. And in a certain context, they are. But that context is only when they are tested at an AWS accredited test facility in accordance with the American Welding Society certified, certified welder program. Okay, so if I, if I hear that term AWS certified from a potential person that wants to have some testing done, I will always try to clarify it as to whether they're talking about someone that's being tested and certified in accordance with the requirements of the SQC7, which is the standard for certified welders by AWS, or whether they're talking about someone that meets the qualification requirements of a specific AWS code and they've been tested in accordance with that and somebody's certified and right that they meet those requirements. Both of those people are certified welders, but the the reference to an AWS certified kind of implies that they're certified by the American Welding Society, and the only case in which that happened where the American Welding Society keeps records of the welders that are certified is through the AWS Certified Welder Program that's in accordance with AWS QC7 and AWS QC4. Okay, uh, we're an AWS accredited test facility, and if you got any questions about how that happens or how to make it happen. Uh, let me know and I'll help you out. Uh, but, you know, another thing to know about the AWS certified welder and the certified by, by Bubba the blind guy off the back of the pickup truck, if they both did it in accordance with AWS D1.1, there is no difference in the test that they took. There was no additional knowledge factor required. There was no, other than some extra paperwork and a little bit of an extra fee, then there's no difference in the actual test or the requirements, the abilities of the welder himself. The difference lies in the paperwork and the documentation and the supporting evidence. With an AWS certified welder, we send the paperwork into the American Welding Society, they review it, and then they, they will keep a record of that person's welder qualification in their database, and then every six months, that welder has to send in information indicating that they've maintained continuity, that they continue to use the process at least one time during that six-month period, and that maintains their qualification record indefinitely. So those are a few things about the welder qual. Hopefully tonight we will we will fill out a welder performance qualification record uh, with the intent of trying to meet some certain qualification goals. I uploaded a, or I put a uh, document there on the website that kind of lists what the range of qualification is we're looking for. 
So what we're going to try to decide tonight is what tests can be taken, what materials, all that kind of stuff can be used. Maybe fill out the paperwork, and then we may go out of the shop and, and, and go through the process real quickly and talk about what we would do. Maybe I'll even weld some. I don't know. Anyway, y'all have a good day. I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing y'all tonight. If you hear this, have a good one. Well, we made it through a little bit more information about the welder qualification testing, so I figured I'd throw a few words out from the Subaru. Uh, you know, the, the process of doing any type of code compliant work is mainly going to be related to your ability to use that code. Okay? <clears throat> it's my opinion that you guys could go on without me from here on and eventually figure out whatever you need to if you're interested enough to put your head in the code book and read it. If we were to all of a sudden have to do something tomorrow related to welding procedure or performance qualification using a different code book, it might take you some time to read through it, get familiar with it, but hopefully you'd be able to do it. Okay. Uh, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to miss things. I still do it. The main thing is, is understanding how to use the code book and, use, and understand the terminology that's in there. And, just keep on digging when you don't understand something. There's no magic secret way to memorize it that I know of. I mean, I, I can remember a few things out of it just because of repetition. But about the time I remember them, it's time I'm going to get in trouble. You know, having a familiarity with where the tables are at, where the figures are at, uh, putting some page numbers in the text of your code book that refers to to give you the page number for a specific reference item, whether it be it a paragraph or a table or a chart or a figure. Writing those numbers in there can help you navigate a little bit quicker. Uh, Carl was asking about tabbing. Mentioned, you know, mentioned tabbing his code book. You know, I think I maybe mentioned it at the beginning of the class. I wasn't a big fan of that. But there's some, you know, everybody else does it, so it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad idea. Uh, it just means it's not an idea I like. One of the reasons I don't like it is if I got a bunch of tabs stuck on my code book and I start stuffing it in a bag or carrying it around, I end up tearing a page off of a $500 code book. I'm not happy about it. Okay. So <clears throat> that's that's my that's my biggest reason. I like using the index, the table of contents, understanding how the, the chapters and the clauses are laid out. That works best for me. Uh, so the welder welder performance qualification that we went through tonight, we, we went through the same thing twice. First time we looked at what the qualified range was that the welder wanted to have and looked at those applicable tables, figures, or paragraphs that applied to that. Then we decided what was going to be the required test to meet those ranges. So we filled in the information for what the required variables were to use during the test. And then we filled in the qualified range based on the rules of the code book. And then we went back and forth to the tables, figures, and paragraphs and supported that. We didn't finish it all the way up. Hopefully you guys can finish it up and send me a copy of it. Let me take a look at it and see what I think about it. Everything that you need to know about what has to go on that form is in the code book. But it's not a matter of going to the back to the sample ones back there and copying that information. May may be wrong, may not apply. It's a matter of understanding why that information has to be there 
And where do you get the ranges for what's there for the qualified range? Uh, I'd also like to, when you, <clears throat> when you fill out the rest of that form, is also put in the required tests. All that information is in there, and it tells you what test would be suitable for that 3 8 inch plate test. Refer to the figure number and fill it in. Hopefully, our next class, we may go out in the shop and just do a real quick welder qualification test and let you do visual inspection on the root pass and on the final. Be gentle on me because I'm sensitive, but you can kind of practice, you know, doing a little bit of welding inspection actually on a test. And if somebody else wants to weld one while I'm doing it, uh, you know, we've got four machines out there. If we want to go out in the shop and have a big welding party, we can. Uh, but next class is going to finish it up, finish up on welder performance qualification testing. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I'd like for you to do, besides the homework assignments that I gave you, is look back in your book of specifications at the clause for performance qualification, which is clause six, and read through it and see how it looks to you. Hopefully, it's a little bit more familiar now. I want you to keep your, you know, keep your head in the, the book of specifications, just reading through it a little bit, get familiar with it, looking for anything that you don't understand. Um, we're going to visit it again there towards the end of class before you have your test. But after next class, I'm, I'm planning on trying to jump into a, lot, a little bit of the fundamentals, a little bit heavier. Now that you've got a pretty good feeling for the book of specifications and using the code, we're going to start on doing some actual uh, learning about the fundamentals and some actual hands-on welding inspection using different acceptance criteria. Y'all have a good night. Bye. Hey everybody, I was going to talk to you a little bit, just going over an overview of welder qualification testing by D1.1. Uh, again, these things are coming off the top of my head as I'm rolling down the road in Subaru, so uh, don't expect the highest quality, most technically accurate content, but hopefully it'll be sometimes some things you can think about. Okay, so remember that the welder qualification testing requirements are pretty much detailed in Clause 4, and they start off in Part C, but you'll also see that there's a, there's a Part A, B, and C, and D. They all have different headings on them. Read through Part A. You can skip over Part Part B in the context of welder qualification, and you don't need to know anything about Part D in the context of welder qualification. Part C, that's in Clause 4, begins the, the information you'll need to know about welder testing. And that information is about the actual test, that type of stuff, but some general concepts to understand are that throughout the code, there's requirements for the welder to be tested. Okay, we looked in Clause 5, person that's tacking on attachment welds got to be qualified okay uh, so there's you know there's requirements that mention welder qualification testing or welder being qualified in accordance with the, the code in other places but the requirements for doing it are contained right there in, in part C in clause 4 as a general idea it doesn't make a difference what the code is the thing to keep in mind is that the welder it's got to take a test that qualifies him to weld on the weld joint that they're going to do in production or the weld joints multiple. The welder doesn't qualify to use a specific WPS. The welder uses a WPS when he takes his welder qualification test and when a production weld is made then if that company is complying with the requirements of D1.1 or whatever code it is 
they should also be following the WPS. <clears throat> Oftentimes, people think that if I qualify my welder, that I'm golden and I've met all the requirements of the code and the magic is fixing to happen. And that's not that's not what it is. Remember that code book's pretty thick. That section that's in there about welder qualification, it's pretty thin. But you've got to qualify the welder to make the joint or to make the weld. Now, within the code book, there's a table that lists the essential variables for welder performance qualification. I'm gonna go through some of these off the top of my head, may miss out on them. But you know what number one is going to be the position. Okay, there's a table in D1.1 that tells you if a welder takes a test in a certain test position, 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, or 5G, 6G if they're done pipe, that they are qualified to make welds in other positions. Positions that are designated as flat, horizontal, vertical, and overhead. If you take a pipe, for instance, or a piece of square tubing, one weld that's on the bottom of it, if it runs horizontal, is overhead. The other weld is vertical, top weld is flat. Okay. So the position is one of the considerations. If your welders are going to only be welded in the flat position, they only need to take a flat test. If they're going to just be welded in the horizontal and flat position, then they can just take a horizontal test. Okay. And the table that's in D1.1 tells you that. So position is one of the things that you've got to think about. Process. Process is another. Now, for the most part, that's pretty pretty simple. SMAW is SMAW. GMAW is GMAW unless it's short circuiting transfer. Then some additional rules come into play. Flux core with or without shielding gas. Same process. Okay. Uh, so the other variable that you've got to consider when you're going to test your welders is what process are we going to use? If you're going to use flux core. Uh, you're going to have to test your welders on flux core. If you're going to use shielded metal arc, you're going to have to use, you know, test them on shielded metal arc. If you're going to use gas tungsten arc, you're going to have to test them on gas tungsten arc. There's no overlapping of processes where one process qualifies for the other in D1.1. Uh, so that's one of the other, you know, that's one of the other variables is the process. That was pretty simple. Another one is backing. If a weld is made in the field without backing, and it's required to be complete joint penetration all the way to the through thickness of the joint, then the welder has got to be qualified to make a weld without backing. If that's the case, they have to take a test on a weld without backing. If they take a test on a weld without backing, they are qualified to weld on a joint with backing. But if they take a test with backing, they are not qualified to weld on one without backing. Okay. Exception is for partial joint penetration groove welds. There is no backing on them. Uh, welders are qualified to make those because the root is not part of the consideration of the, of the joint, the backside of the root. <clears throat> so backing, another variable. Uh, one other thing to, to, to know about backing, backing is not just a metal backing strip. Okay, It can be other, other methods of backing, but one of the ones that people get oftentimes confused about is back gouging. If you weld your joint on one side and you flip it over on the back side and you gouge that weld out and you put another weld on the other side of it, that is welding with backing. Okay? If you weld it from one side and flip it over and just admire your work but don't do nothing to it, that weld has been made without backing. So kind of keep that in mind. D1.1 in Clause 4 talks about backing, gives you the definitions of it in, in other clauses on what you can use in production.
in welder qualification tests, it's pretty explicit as far as showing you what kind of backing has to go on the test. It's either a one inch by quarter flat bar minimum thickness quarter inch or a three inch wide flat bar minimum thickness quarter inch if it's going to be radiograph. So there's, there's a couple of variables for you. Uh, think of another one. Progression. If you're doing a vertical weld and you want to weld downhill, then the welder is going to have to qualify to weld downhill. The part to remember about that is when he does his welder qualification test, he's going to have to have a WPS that's qualified to weld downhill. Another thing to think about is on the production weld. He's going to have to have a weld or WPS that's qualified to weld downhill. Okay, so that's another one is progression. Uh, thickness, I think we talked about thickness. Well, maybe we did not. Anyway, we think if they take a if they take thickness of material for a groove weld, then they're qualified to weld on a certain thickness. Typically, it's going to be two times the thickness of the base metal that they tested on. So, three eighths thick plate would qualify the welder to weld up to three quarter of an inch thick plate. Half inch thick plate would qualify them to weld up to one inch thick plate. However, when you get to get to the point where you're doing your test on a one inch thick plate, the welder is qualified to weld on unlimited thickness regardless. Oh, if you look in the figures in there that, that are in D1.1, one of the other things about doing the unlimited thickness qualification test is the plate's a little bit shorter. So, uh, you know, it cuts down on some of the volume of the weld that goes in there. Oh. For radiographic purposes on that big thick plate, you can have larger discontinuities that are inside the plate. For the bend test, still the same acceptance criteria. So that's a you know that's an overview of a few of the few of the variables that are related to welder performance qualification. Uh, again, you, if you look through you know clause four for the for the table, it lists the variables for welder performance qualification. It also should reference the paragraph that refers back to that that refers to that table. But keeping those things in mind can kind of kind of give you an idea what you what you need to do. You need to make sure that the, the, the joint's going to be welded in production is something that the welder is qualified for. Uh, you know, don't get the, the variables for welder or welding procedure qualification mixed up with those for welder performance. There's a lot more variables for welding procedure qualification. Groove angle, groove types, welding from both sides, all kinds of different things. Okay, so don't get those confused. You know, if a, guy, if a welder qualifies on that standard uh, joint design that's shown in the uh, in the figure for welder qualification for limited thickness or unlimited thickness, that welder is qualified to weld on any joint design that meets the requirements of D1.1. Period. You know, with the, within the ranges of the other variables that they have, such as backing that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna fill her up with gas a little bit before I head the rest of the way up to work. Y'all have a good day. I'll see you tonight. I just kind of want to throw that out for you. Those same things, concepts that I talked about for D1.1 you know, would apply to the book of specifications and in the other code book. Book specifications, you know, very, very watered down, a lot less stuff, but you will be required to review some welder qualification records sometime in the future. Remember, don't get those WPS variables mixed up with those welder qualification variables. Y'all have a good day.